It's not always about getting to the goal because again, like I got to the goal. I am a veterinarian now and it's not everything I thought it would be. Um, But getting there was amazing. I loved it. I love vet school. I love my vet school friends. So the journey is really half the fun. From Vetex International, this is Blunt Dissection. I'm Dave Nichol. On today's show, I'm joined by the socially savvy Dr. Lisa Lipman. Try saying that after a beer. Lisa is one of the most followed and socially influential veterinarians in the United States. She is a regular fixture on media outlets such as Dr. Oz, Inside Edition and People Magazine as a go-to source for expertise in pet health and safety. Whilst growing up in New Jersey, Lisa developed a passion for animal care. After initially majoring in public relations, she was accepted into vet school and graduated from Western University. After graduation, she completed an internship in New York, the city where she currently resides. Keen to offer a gentler veterinary service to her clients, Lisa soon embarked on creating her own house call business, Vets in the City. When not treating some of the most influential pets in the world, she sits on the board of Animal Lighthouse Rescue, whose mission is to help the homeless dogs of Puerto Rico. And she's the co-host of hugely popular podcast Pets and Punchlines with her partner, comedian Richie Redding. Now, before we jump into the episode, a quick word from today's show sponsor, which is the Thrive Professional Skills course from Vetex International. If you're working in practice and clients and colleagues are making you miserable, then I have good news and bad news. The bad news is you're probably the source of your problems. The good news is that you're also 100% in control of changing things and having a great career you're missing some skills and they're not clinical. Enter Thrive. Thrive is a race-accredited professional skills training course where members receive training, toolkits, and mentoring support to help develop these skills. Paul, one of the community members, says joining was the best decision of his life and went from being miserable to being energized and happy in his work. Membership's available for a small monthly fee where you can join hundreds of other vets who've changed their careers for the better. Learn more and enroll by visiting vetxinternational.com forward slash thrive today. Now back to the show. There is much to enjoy in this conversation. Lisa shares her insight into navigating a career less ordinary, how to do social media well, life in lockdown and much more. She is in many ways a bit of a renaissance woman. She's talented, optimistic and despite having her fair share of setbacks, clearly sees life as a glass half full. A great example to us all of what can be done when you mix a positive mindset with curious spirit and a sprinkle of self-belief. She's also a battle of laughs. My only sadness was that we didn't get to record this conversation on a park bench in Central Park, Manhattan. Maybe next time. So now, without further delay, enjoy this conversation with the rather ebullient Dr. Lisa Lippman. Welcome, <laughs> Dr. Lisa Lippman to Blood Dissection. Yay! Thanks for having me. I'm super excited to be here. I'm that excited. This has been a conversation that we've sort of batted back and forth across the Instagrams a little bit. And with COVID yeah. and JFK being one of the most hellish airports to fly into. <laughs> oh my God. When's the last time you were there? That's a good question. I, I Probably late 2000 or mid 2019. I almost don't know what year it is anymore. Yeah, I know. That's not that far away, actually. That's not far away. But yeah, it's. Um, I would not recommend coming, especially now. Are you in lockdown? You guys are in like a hard lockdown, right? Yeah, well, we're a hot mess right now. So we are. Uh, yeah, we're in our third lockdown. This one feels a lot harder than the other ones because it's winter and the weather's crappy and we can't really go outside. Right. And it feels significant in that we've got the vaccine and that sort of things happening. 
but we're not seeing impact to that yet. We've got this other variant that's just swept across the country and just really taken everybody by surprise a little bit. The hospitals are full. It's pretty ugly. Yeah. And the rest of it is sat increasingly you know mental health like britain the weather and winter in britain it's not necessarily the best so you're kind of cooped up and we don't have our yeah. massive social support tool which is the pub so yeah <laughs> right and i i think i just saw somebody today that they they announced that like you're just like on indefinite lockdown like they don't know when and and there's no like yeah yeah i think that's what people are struggling with right now is is you know schools right. are closed so you've got, you know, you've got, you're trying right. to do education for your child. And, and uh, like, basically you fail at your job and at education. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. I know most parents who feel that way. Yeah, it's really hard for sure. And I don't know if you know my personal experience with COVID. Like I've been, my family has been through the ringer. So I was going to ask about that. So I don't know, but I know like you're in New York and you guys took a battering there when it first came up. So tell us more, please. If you don't mind. Yeah. No, not at all. So in the very beginning, like right before lockdown, like March 11th, I mean, we don't go into lockdown like you guys, even though I think probably we should, but both of my parents got hit really hard with COVID. So they were in Florida. They, they live half the year in Florida and half the year in Jersey. They were in Florida and they actually canceled their flight to come back to New Jersey. And they were like, oh, we're going to stay. We're going to be safe. We're not going to get on a plane. They went out, they bought all this hand sanitizer and then they got hit by somebody in their community. And they both got put on ventilators at the same time, which was just absolutely traumatic. Yeah, my, my dad was on the ventilator for 20 days. So I had to call three ambulances, actually. So it started, they started to have like GI signs and like vomiting and diarrhea. And, and at the time, like nobody thought that was really COVID related. And it was so early, I had actually sent like a physician's assistant to their house and a nurse and and then we decided after a week, like they weren't getting better. They were really fatigued, but having all these GI signs. So I had sent a nurse who was giving them fluids at their house and she was there and we decided it was time to call the ambulance and um, two ambulances turned them away. I had to call three ambulances because they were like, oh, they don't, they don't look sick enough. And then the second, the third ambulance got there, all of a sudden my dad goes, I can't breathe and like crashed. And if the ambulance hadn't been there, I mean, he, he would have died. There's no question. So they intubated, they crash intubated him in the emergency room immediately. And uh, he was on the ventilator for 20 days. And then my mom was hospitalized at the same time. She was put on the ventilator five days later. And uh, she was on for nine days. And so, yeah, it was super true. My dad was in the hospital for 20 days. He was, sorry, he was on the vent for 20 days. He was in the hospital for 40 he was just super fucked up. He couldn't pee. He couldn't eat. He couldn't even lift his own head. He had to learn to walk again. So then he lived in outpatient rehab for five weeks. My mom woke up and just did really well off the vent because women, maybe, I don't know. But uh, now they're doing, they're doing good. Thank God. I mean, they're like eight months. It's been like eight months since that whole ordeal, which is crazy. And uh, they're playing golf in Florida. So we're just so, so thankful. But I'll tell you also, my, my cousin, died, which is so sad. She was in her 70s in an independent living facility and because she has she had dementia and uh, they did so good for so long. And then they let a worker's son in and he infected 70 people. 12 of them died, including the worker and his son. So 
this is not the flu. And I have in a very, very personal experience with this. Thank God this week, I everyone's like, how are you doing? I'm like, well, this week, nobody in my family has COVID. So we're doing, we're doing okay. I am just staying home. You know, I had a house call practice. I pretty much am not doing that myself right now. So I'm staying home. I'm doing a lot of telehealth and the Instagram stuff and uh, the podcast stuff. And uh, that's my whole life story, Dave. So we just got it all out there in 10 minutes. I'm going to stop talking. Well, I mean, goodness <laughs> me, I did not know the, the full extent there. And that's so that's incredibly yeah. traumatic. And so sorry for your loss. And <sighs> yeah, everything. thanks. Yeah, it was, I was like an instant orphan. And I love my parents a lot. So there are people who, you know, don't really love their parents a lot, but I love them a lot. So it was yeah. traumatic. Yeah. Not to get political, but just observationally from from the UK. And I have to say, we don't seem like we've done a great job. You know, there's nearly 100,000 officially no longer with us because of COVID. And it seems like we've made a lot of decisions a long way after the point where you might have expected those decisions to be made. But at the same time, we're living through something that is like, what's the right decision? You know, it, it's sometimes hard to know when is the right moment to intervene. And this clearly this massive balancing act going on. But I, I look over the pond to the US and in, in some ways, I'm surprised it's not been worse. And I wonder if it's maybe, you know, speaking to the experience that you've had and you've personally had has been horrific. And the density of population in New York City, I mean, it clearly was a massive, massive problem there. But this, you know, the rest of the country, it seems odd to me that you've had fewer problems than you've had with the the politicization that occurred with face masks and denialism and all of this. But maybe that's all just media, and and it's it's not a country full of crazy people that don't seem to care that it's the flu or in denial about it. Well, I think it probably is worse than they're reporting. I think it is definitely worse than they're reporting. I mean, I had friends who were cops, like in in the Bronx, really like you know, underserved areas where there were just whole buildings of people who who died because they're not people who are used to seeking medical care. You know, they, yeah, they they, they really went underreported. And just like the ambulances turned my, my parents away, they were turning people away if they looked okay. But that's, we know about COVID is that like you just crash, the bottom falls out. So like you seem okay until you're not. And, um, a lot of people got turned away. So I'm very confident that it was definitely way worse than it's been reported. And it's bad. I mean, it's reported to be bad. This is not a time that I've been proud to be an American for sure. It's really, really crazy upsetting how really the, the middle of the country is just very different than the coast. Um, and that is majority of my America. It really is. Like I, I always have to remember, I don't, I don't live in the majority of America. But I would say, you know, with this election, certainly we came out to, we won. So, I mean, I think there's enough people here who are, are wanting things to change and for the better. So, yeah, so I, I hope I hope now things are really going to be going in the, in the right direction. But I think it was worse than it was reported. And, uh, yeah, just really crazy. So crazy. Well, bring on this vaccine and, um, you know, let's hopefully we've got a, a way forward out of this in the future. Are you getting vaccinated? How is it over there? Where where are veterinarians in like the queue? Oh, we're miles down the queue. We're, I don't think we're even on the queue. We're not technically considered essential service workers unless you're in the oh. meat production, the food production side of things or medicine supply. So general practitioners, 
like uh, like me, we're not actually on that list. So uh, I expect we won't be getting anywhere near a vaccine till summer, maybe autumn time. So veterinarians aren't even, you're not considered essential. I, I didn't know that. That's No. <sighs> what are the feelings on that? Oh, I think we're, I think we're generally okay with it. I haven't, certainly haven't noticed anything. I think we understand as a country, we need to get vulnerable vaccinated quickly. You know, I think that anyone in the profession who's in that category, obviously will be on that list, but also probably retired. And I think we've done a pretty good job of keeping, you know, in in my practice, for example, you know, we've completely re-engineered workflow and re repurposed exam rooms, put windows in or taken solid windows out and put in perspect grills so we can actually block but see people and they can see in the exam room. And, you know, it's not the same. It's still hard, but at least there's something there. And and yeah. we did get added to a list of, you know, to be treated as if we're essential services. So that if one person in the clinic got sick, we didn't have to shut the whole business for two weeks, which meant we could bring teams back together because our, our teams were split in two frequently. And it was just mm-hmm. really hard because you had teams of three or four people working. So that was less than half of the team, yeah. but with more than half yeah. of the volume, even though we were on essential services, it was and continues to hmm. be a time of I, strength for the profession. Yeah. I mean, I know that I feel like that's contributed to a lot of frustration here, actually, with people not getting the vaccine because it's like, if they're going to consider us essential shouldn't we be getting vaccinated? I understand. I agree. The vulnerable have to be vaccinated first. But if we're considered essential and we're asked to go to work and told to go to work and, you know, putting our lives on the line for this, I I think that veterinarians should be considered a bit more essential, a little higher up on the the vaccine chain. But that's just me and I'm biased. So (laughs) you you, you get to do you. I see you wanted to go back to and maybe kick off our conversation with how you how you've got yourself into veterinary medicine, your career. When I look at your career. There's a lot about it that's atypical, and I mean that in a, in a nice way. You know, even mm-hmm. your route into medicine, from all the people I've interviewed, really doesn't take a pathway that you would go, "Oh yeah, yeah I see that." It's sort of like there's the ten year old writing the letter to the the college asking for the, <laughs> the brochure, which I thought was one of the sweetest things ever, and how mean they were that's in their funny. response. I have a question. About I know that. they couldn't just send a girl some stickers. Uh huh. What a PR failure. <laughs> and it, it looked like they were sending you your own stickers back or something like that. They're really sticking it to you. They were, yeah. Well, I asked for them back. I, it... I want to hear all about that. But then you do this sort of different career path, takes you um, to do a different undergraduate, and then you come back to what feels like your calling. So I wondered if you could just talk us through, like, how you find yourself in veterinary medicine and some of that journey. Yes. No, you you nailed that right on the head. I mean, I ever since I was like zero, ever since I can remember, I've wanted to be a veterinarian. I grew up, uh, well, we'll take it just way back, I guess. I grew up, my neighbors used to breed these Shih Tzu puppies and they used to put me in a child's playpen with these Shih Tzu puppies and feed me chocolate. And that was, the, I'm, I think I was done for. So I have l- literally, since I can remember, wanted to be a veterinarian but I was not a good high school student. I was a terrible high school student. I mean, I don't know, terrible, but I was not a good high school student. I was much more interested in being social and uh, just not confident that I could pursue the sciences. And then I got to college and I made my, my concentration biology 
and my major public relations. So I figured, oh, well, you know, this is still sort of, maybe I'll do like biotech PR, pharmaceutical PR, crisis PR or something. What made you choose PR? You know, actually, I started off as education just because I had no clue. I didn't think I was probably good enough to do a lot. And that's just kind of how I got in. This is how we thought I would get into college, I think. So I think I, with my like guidance counselor, we just chose the route to however I thought we thought that I would get in. So I actually started off as education. And then what happened was I did so well when I was able to, so in high school, part of the thing was I was very frustrated. I didn't understand like why I would get up at seven in the morning, take all these classes I didn't want to take. I really rebel against people telling me what to do, I think. And I was just really angry at a lot of it. And then I got to college and I was able to choose my own courses, choose my time schedule. For me, that just made such a huge difference. And I had an incredible biology professor and I did so well. I was actually accepted to like a special genetics course. So I pursued biology thinking, okay, I'll have some of my prereqs if I want to think I can pursue veterinary medicine. But just in case, then I chose public relations because the communication school at Syracuse, where I went to undergrad, is actually one of the top three communication schools in the country. And so it has a phenomenal reputation. And I thought, okay, this maybe this is fun. Like PR would be something that I think I would be decent at. Um, and I spent a summer working at a veterinary clinic. And I spent a summer, the same summer, actually, also working for a fashion catalog doing public relations. And I just felt yeah, I mean, I, you know, this is still my calling. So I, I actually, when I graduated, I didn't go out into the workforce. I just literally went right back to school. I applied. I got into UPenn's post-bac pre-medical program and spent three years there just kind of taking my time doing the rest of my prerequisites and working at the hospital to get experience. And then I applied. I lived in DC for a year. So I had to apply like three times, I think, two or three times. And then the third time, then the, the last time that I applied, I got accepted. I got like, I had like four interviews. I got accepted at three places. So I had my choice at that point. And yeah, it was just just really crazy. Just persistence is, is everything. So yeah, so not traditional path at all. So two questions come to mind off of that. The first one is, I'm curious what made it your calling when you're going back to the clinic and you're hanging out there and you're also doing the work with the PR catalog. What was it that was jumping out to you and just making you go, this is the bomb. This is where I want to be. That's question one. And then question two is when you were applying and getting the rejections, what sort of time frame was this over and how were you feeling and how were you able then to keep going? Like what was going on in your head then that, and, and what propelled you forward? Oh, I love that question. I'd say the first one, did I forget the first question already? What made it your calling? Right, right. Thank you. Um, right. When I was working at the PR clinic, you know, like I said, I have always wanted to do it. And I think I just try to do other things in order to like, because I wasn't confident that I could pursue veterinary medicine. That was the only reason. So it's just something, and I think it's cliche, right? Most veterinarians will say it's like so ingrained in them since like, again, I was zero. I, I but. But it also was my calling because, I mean, I, I felt like I wanted to help. I could do so much more. It just gave me a much more fulfilling sense of purpose uh, around who I would be in my own confidence and happiness level versus like, you know, picking clothing for a fashion catalog. You know, now that I look back, I actually think 
now that I'm that I've been a veterinarian for a long time, I think I would have been very happy doing PR. I and mean, I think that everything in this world has their place. But at the time, I was really set on pursuing my passion and my sense of purpose. Now, would I do it again? I don't know. And it's weird to say that, right? Because it's literally all I ever wanted. I mean, I went back to school. I had a, I had a small house in loans and then I went back and I did it again. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I really pursued it at all costs. So yeah. And there, I'm going to ask a ton of other questions off of everything you say, probably, and we'll never get to the actual questions I normally ask. But so you, you hesitated there and you said oh, you might not do it again. In your experiences so far, like what makes you feel like that? I want to get to that. But there was another question that I said that I loved. What was it? Oh, what kept me going, basically. It was just basically that I really, truly believe I'm pretty good at focusing on the fact that life is a journey. And I always felt like I'm on the road to doing what I wanted to do. And I was so happy doing that. Like I was pursuing a goal, right? I had like a passion and a goal and uh, something I was just really proud of and amped up about when you don't have a goal, things are very different. And I've always felt fortunate that I've had that goal. I think a lot of people really, truly just don't know what they want to do or or be or anything. So having that sense of purpose was really great. And the journey was really fun for me. Then I learned I was pretty good at school and uh, I lived in different places. And I was just like, okay, well, you know, this is kind of the the path. I know I kind of have my ducks in a row now. And so I'm just going to keep going. So it was just, it was the journey to getting there. And knowing that I could, so. And then looking back on the career you've had, you you don't sound like you're quite so confident you'd do it second time around. What leads you to say that? Oh, well, a few things. So now where I am, you know, I'm creating my own niche. um, And I realize there are so many things you can do with veterinary medicine. I just think my beginning path was really unfortunate. I was so passionate. I mean, I was like, I'm going to work 100 hour work weeks. I did an end my got my first choice internship. I was going to do a residency and then I got into internship. And I mean, it just was, it was, you know, a lot of hours, really very little appreciation, you know, realizing how much money was a factor, time spent doing records. Like I was really not prepared. I loved vet school. I made incredible friends. I loved it. I excelled at it. And then if I knew how much time was spent doing my records, just covering my own ass with literally everything I say that I have to write down at the end of the day, if I could just do medicine all day long, but half of it is, it's not medicine. It's a lot of record keeping and things like that. And just then the time that you're churning and burning, working for somebody else in a clinic and then really, I think if I was in a phenomenal, even a good, really good environment, it would have been very different. I always had issues with, it's mostly been management, management who have not been veterinarians that have been really traumatic. I've just been in a lot of unfortunate, toxic work environments where I have always loved everybody that I worked with and the techs. Like I've always, that's always been great. And I have made so, I have so many veterinary friends in the industry, but management has always been really tough to deal with. So working, you know, 15, 20 minute appointments all day long for somebody else who, you know, will just completely take advantage of that. It's, it's tough. It can be a really, really tough profession and then people and the and the pressure when you're actually finally responsible. It's just all comes together to be kind of a perfect storm of not what I thought it would be totally. Sometimes it is, but sometimes it's not. <laughs> right. 
your career kind of you move toward now I, I really want to touch there's certain aspects of your career i'd like to delve into a little bit more there's the setting up your own business and, and perhaps we could talk a little bit more about that there's the adoption of sort of technology and, and that looks like an area you're quite interested and active in there's the comedy and the media side of of your your work and career and i think the comedy side is is where i sort of first stumbled upon your work and it was actually it was a it was somebody that contacted me about an article about vets doing comedy and i really don't do comedy i I put it out there once that the the most terrifying thing i'd done was a a (laughs) stand-up comedy class and uh and how how exhilarating and enjoyable and utterly terrifying that was so then that you know then people started talking to me about that and your name came up so this this conversation is a long time in in the making and and we'll certainly go there but you said something about you know you're good at sort of the journey and setting goals and and whatnot and when I look at your career from the outside I think I'm a magpie with lots of different things going on and I look at you and I'm like holy crap there's somebody that's there's really a magpie there (laughs) so I'm kind of curious about maybe if you could paint the outline of all the things you're involved in but then I'd re- I'm really curious about how you go about setting a goal and, you know, what process you have of sort of making that come true. Yeah. Well, I think actually, I mean, yeah, this is this is a perfect segue because like I said, I do think there are so many things in veterinary medicine that you can pursue um, if you aren't happy. And that's kind of what happened was I was in a lot of different, I just had very toxic management situations. And I had a friend who started a house call practice and, uh, I said to him, like, let me come work with you. Let me build this with you. I love this idea. I love the idea of of spending, you know, more time in a client's home, getting to know them, getting to care about them, having that relationship, not being rushed out of a clinic, making my own hours, you know, things like that. So I started to work for for with him, but sort of building my own thing, um, but under his guise. And a couple of months into it, I got a patient named well, his name is Samson, but he's known as Castrodamus. He was the largest cat in New York. Now people love to call him the largest cat in the world. And so we just went crazy viral together. We did everything from like TMZ, Inside Edition, Good Housekeeping, Harry Connick Jr., like you name it, this cat did it. And everybody wanted to know like, why is he so big? Is he healthy? And so the owner was really happy to let me take the spotlight on a lot of those questions. So we just kind of grew together. And that's where the whole Instagram thing started. And I really think luck is when preparation meets opportunity, right? So I had all these years of schooling, I was prepared to be an expert in this situation, I had had a little bit of media training, actually through a veterinary course. And uh, I just took that and I kind of ran with it. And I said, Okay, well, how can I parlay this into something else? And I got wind of a management company that represents all of the most famous pets in the world called the Dog Agency. And I happened to have a friend who was repped by them. And she said, oh, yeah, you know, I'll put you in touch. They're doing a conference called PetCon coming up and let me put you in touch. So I wrote them and I said, like, what do I got to do, you know, to be represented by you and, and do this? And I said, oh, well, you don't have enough followers right now, but like maybe come speak on this panel that we're giving. Uh, I spoke on the human animal bond at PetCon, which was like, come meet all of your famous pet influencers. And then when I was there, I saw the CEO and the founder and she said, let's do lunch. And I was like, yes. So we wound up going out to eat. And I basically said again, like, what's it going to take for you to rep me? And she told me and I got it done. And 
So I sort of immersed myself in this whole, I was aggressive with going after what I wanted. I mean, I, I immersed myself in this whole world of pet influencers, um, which is fun and also a lot of pressure in a different way, right? And uh, they got to know me. It took time. So I was really patient. I got, you know, everybody, I sort of built uh, then this following and this client base of people who trusted me, but were known. And um, so, yeah, so I think that's kind of how that all started. And then my friend who I was working the house call company with, he decided he just wanted to do brick and mortar. He didn't want to do house call anymore. So I said, great, because I actually really want, I would love, I want to be an entrepreneur. My dad is an entrepreneur. I think it's just in my blood. I always like doing my own things. If you can't tell, there's a theme here. I have a thing with, I guess, like authority and, and just being my own boss. So I started my own house call practice at that time. And then shortly after that, I was recruited to a house call startup called Fuzzy Pet Health. They were San Francisco-based, like Silicon Valley house call startup. They fancied themselves a tech startup because they had an app that you could schedule everything through and like do a little bit of kind of virtual care through where they had technicians to answer some questions. That lasted for about a year. And then they decided at the end of the year that they were no longer... Pro so I was I was their lead New York vet. I ran a team six days a week of two vets and two techs. And that was from all my experience. When I was... Sorry, when I started my house call practice, I also just did per diem. That was actually how I made most of my money. So I did per diem all over the place. And that's how I built... You just comment per diem. Can you explain what that is for anybody that might not know? Yeah, I think you guys call it locum. So just picking up shifts. So for anybody who needs any hospitals who need coverage, picking up shifts all over the place as needed. So emergency or general practice and the turnover rate, especially in New York City, I can tell you is just atrocious, unfortunately, but it allows so many veterinarians that I know to then make their own schedule, right? Be a little bit more of their own boss. They're entrepreneurs. I think they really don't realize it, um, but they really are. They take control of a, a lot of what they do. And so I, I liked that because I had gone from hospital to hospital. I had made so many amazing connections. I met amazing veterinarians and technicians who then I was able to take to work for Fuzzy Pet Health. And so I ran a team six days a week of two doctors, two techs, which was like actually like unheard of. And that's because I was good to them. I fought for them. I loved them. At the end of that one year, they decided that the house call business was no longer profitable for them as a venture-backed business. And they said, well, if you want to just like pick up your own house call practice again, you can start that. And I was doing that. That was in February. And then March hit and then COVID hit. So I was restarting my own house call practice. And then I had to go. I went to Florida to help my parents. I lived there for about six months and just kind of shut everything down. I Now I did have because I have incredible friends who were doing house calls with me, they continued to do somehow. We took a break for a while, probably about like four months while we just figured everything out. And then, so now I still own that house call practice and I, I still have veterinarians who are going out and making house calls and we all make a little bit of money and they like it. I pay them well. And, you know, it's, I set everything up ahead of time. I vet the people. I know they're nice people that I know about the animals so yeah, so that's that's a little business then now that I have on the side. I don't know what will happen with it. I, I suspect in some way I'll always do it. But I also started to do some telemedicine. Tell me if you get bored. This is my No, I've life. actually got uh, questions. A hodgepodge. I'm going to jump yeah. in because, um, and I think this is a good point to jump in because I've got telemedicine flagged up so I can 
I can join the dots back to that. So I'm curious. I'm going to take it back to the the surface area. Your career surface area is being exposed to the virtues or the vagaries of luck. And this meeting, you so you've chased down the CEO of this uh, the Petcon, and you're you're sat there. I'm curious how the, a bit more about how the conversation went. I'm, I'm also really curious about her, what her answer to your question was. You said, what have I got to do to, to get on the roster here? And so what did she answer? And I'm curious, people sometimes suck at networking and you know, you're doing some <laughs> Jedi networking stuff here. I would love for you just to model out how this went because it sounds like it was quite a successful conversation. I am a shameless Jedi networker, I guess. That word is kind of like at first, it was always kind of like skeevy to me. But the thing is, it's not only about that, right? It's it's about you meet incredible people, people who are the places that they are. It's because they put themselves in this position because they're passionate about something and because they have something to give or do. And those are the people I want to surround myself with. That's just what I enjoy, what I find amazing about also this profession and the world. And so, yes, I did some Jedi networking for sure. And I, like I said, I was aggressive about it because, again, how, luck do, is, how do I approach people? Yeah. Oh, I have no shame. I mean, I'll just, I mean, I think that's, I, I can't remember if I reached out to you. I'm pretty sure I reached out to you. And I was just like, I love what you're doing. I've built, you know, X, Y, Z, like, look what I've done. Maybe we could do something together, you know, something like that. Like, I mean, and even if I hadn't built this page, I still probably, you know, would have reached out to you and been like, hey, like, this is, I love what you're doing. Like, if I can help at all, or I can do anything, please let me know. Like, I'm a fan. It's really that simple. The worst somebody can say is no. I mean, I just, you have to, I have to remember, I try to remind myself that. And I also believe that you get what you ask for. So you really have to ask. And all the vets who like work house call with me will tell you, like, I'm pretty aggressive about like when I was working per diem. I'm also pretty aggressive about asking for high rates. Like I'm not, I don't think we get paid enough. I will ask for higher rates than normal. And the worst somebody can say is no. And that's the nice thing about per diem too, right? I feel like, you know, they need you, you're appreciated, you're kind of coming in like. Are there any uh, Jedi tips on the best ways to ask? And also, do you have any tips on how to be a good per diem relief or locum vet? What have you learned over the time doing it? Doing per diem and local locum vetting is also very much networking. So any of my friends that I had, so like I had friends who ran schedules, you know, at certain hospitals who I just, I knew they ran the per diem program. So I reached out to them and said, Hey, like, can you put me on the per diem list? I'm, I'm doing per diem. If you hear of any per diem, let me know if you want to, you know, not take a shift, would love to cover this for you. As far as you know, tips for networking, which is like really the same thing. I mean, it's, I think it's just, it is just really being polite and saying like, I would love to, and also showing your passion, like people who I I think don't be afraid to tell somebody like, I would love to do this. It would mean something to me, or I think I can help or, you know, whatever. I don't, I don't think like reaching out and saying any of that, there's nothing wrong with that. And saying like, I'm such a fan, like, right, like now I will, you know, when I do like ads on Instagram and stuff, though, more than half the companies are companies that I have reached out to personally. And I will just send them a letter and say, hey, I'm such a fan. I love what you're doing. Would love if there's like a potential to to work together and let's help get the word out. It would be really awesome to dig into that a little bit, particularly where there's, you know, there's a lot of people building personal brands within the Ventry space. 
And actually, I don't think you answered the question about what she said to you about the advice she gave you, the CEO at Peck. Basically, she said, "Get we need you over 50,000 followers at this point. Um, and so one of the ways to, and the algorithm was very different back then, I'll say. So it was definitely easier to grow. And um, so I just, I was re- aggressive at it. And, I, and that's the same thing, making partnerships. I think the single best way to grow on Instagram, if somebody is looking for that, is to be reposted or to have your your content shared. I partnered with everyone that I could. I teamed up with mostly the cat at that time, Catradamas, who was just getting like a massive influx and said, like, let's work on a post together. Like, you know, at one point he ate, we thought he ate lilies. And so we did a lot of educational stuff surrounding, I got on his Instagram, I did lives so people could see me on Instagram and then just follow. So I I built a, a certain, I had to build a certain following and, you know, make sure it was organic and people were engaged and and things like that. So I went out and I and I got it done and then I followed up with her and I said, "Look, I did it. Let's do it." You know, and and then I and I also said like, "I think I could be a great asset." I was the only human that they represented at that time. They only represented pets. I was like, "Look, I I think I could bring, you know, something to this." So, that was pretty much that. And then I think since then I've proved myself right. I think she's been very happy with me. So, <laughs> in terms of getting into social media, do, do you think? Yeah, I mean, you obviously think it's it's a good idea and it's been great for you. Is social good, bad? What have been the pitfalls for you, and how do you manage any of the the pitfalls? How do you maximize your good bits and minimize your, your bad bits? Yeah, this is funny actually because it's kind of like when you asked me if I would you know, do veterinary medicine again. I mean, the grass is always greener, right? I think no matter what you're doing, because to a lot of people, I think it just looks like I just post pictures and, you know, it's easy and it takes like two seconds and it it actually takes so much more time than it looks like. And I, and I have people actually who I employ who do like freelance work for me, who help me with like editing, copywriting, ideas, the idea machine, things like that. So um, it really takes a village. It can really be a full-time job. So I think that some of the pitfalls are like, it looks a lot easier than it is. Don't get me wrong. I, I still love it. I would love to do it, but I, it's definitely harder than it looks. And it can be a time suck, right? And then also the comparison trap, right? Especially for veterinarians who are already so type A, perfect, caring, yeah, perfectionists when you see what other people are doing. I mean, every, it's just human to fall into that trap, right? And to worry like, oh, like if they get this deal, am I, you know, what does that mean for me? Like, it turns out it means nothing for me. It turns out that there are like a million other companies out there who still would love to work with you. Just like there are enough animals in New York City that I don't think practices need to be competitive. There are enough companies out there who, and and veterinarians are, it's such a small niche right now. It's still growing. I think there's so many ways to make social media work for them and to build a brand. Yeah. What do you think are good things or what good things are you seeing being done content-wise you think are kind of engaging? And are there any sort of bad things? I'm just thinking advice for anybody that's thinking of building up a, a personal brand. So, you know, you've done it very successfully. So generally, maybe it's what, what, work, what has worked for you, what's still working, what do you see? Yeah, I think figuring out who your target audience is is definitely a really important one. So, for example, like when I first started posting, I was posting like 
x-rays or like surgeries or things like that. And I realized like actually people didn't want to see that. They don't think that's cool. Like I think it's cool. Even like all the babies stuck in like, you know, on the x-rays, like on a skeleton, like it just didn't perform as well as like. horrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, for me, it's really cool and normal. But (laughs) most people just didn't want to actually see it. They want to learn. So I wanted my audience to be dog moms and they really didn't want to see um, the stuff that I think is cool. So yeah, so I have kept it to to me and being human and to cute pictures and working with fashion, which I love too. And what kind of things you're seeing working or working for audience engagement and any oh, yeah. advice to anyone building up a, a personal brand inside of VetMed? I think knowing who you want your niche to be. Don't get me wrong. I love other veterinarians. I love when other veterinarians say hi and I love when they follow me. Do I get concerned that they're going to judge me? Sure. You know, is everything always perfect? No, I'm very open to any kind of constructive criticism. I actually haven't gotten that. I've actually gotten a lot of support from people, which I think has been really, really nice. But I know that my primary audience really is dog moms because I want to get the the word out there to the general public. Whereas like Andy Rourke really caters to veterinarians, right? His goal is really to help the, the veterinary community exclusively. Um, and I'm always fiercely protective of the veterinary community and very passionate about it, but but my primary audience. So I think knowing who your audience is, number one, is going to be really important. Sticking to a few things. So, you know, I think your bio is pretty important. What do you do? What are you interested in? Um, and not trying to do like everything at once. Like, are you the traveling vet? Are you the sustainable vet? You know, which which exists. And, you know, she she has a niche. She picks one thing. It's not just about her veterinary medicine. She's human and she's got other things, you know, happening. So find your niche, find your target audience and really try to hone in on that and then make relationships, network. Really the single best way to grow on Instagram is to get shared. So obviously like when that's like when things get viral, right? But like you can't plan to go viral, but you can plan to do other things with other people who have audiences. So Instagram lives, you know, posts, just sharing other people, right? Then they share you back. So being engaged with other people, right, is really important. I think those are all those are all the things that work and it's slow and it's steady now, but also just being consistent with what you do. Patient keeping at it. Yeah. Yeah. It is a lot of patience because sometimes you never know when something's going to hit. Working as you do with the pet owners, you know, a lot of, a lot of vets spend far too long bagging out pet owners and giving them a hard time in practice. You know, you, you go online in Facebook groups and you, you see pet owners copying quite a lot of abuse. You're engaging with what many deem to be crazy dog moms, crazy dog moms. There are some mischievous questions in there, like, you know, what are the craziest things you've actually heard, asked, uh, or or amusing questions? But there's the more serious question as well, which is when you put out a piece of content which is based on science, but it's also controversial. Let's take, and it's not about a position particularly, but something like raw food diets. Or, I knew that was coming. I just knew no- it. I could have picked right. the topic for you. Right. Yeah. Or no, no sods or certain pet foods and grains what happens when you put a post there because you know many people in the profession will put something out and they fear negative reviews or something like that and bam you're there as a veterinarian in a in crazy land (laughs) 
in crazy tone. Mm-hmm. And you've got your megaphone on in crazy tone. <laughs> you're mm-hmm. you're like you're the the same person in the in the country of the crazy. So what happens? I, I'm I'm curious about the interactions there and how you go about choosing content and what happens when you step on the landmine and you know has that happened? I don't think I've actually stepped on any landmines where something has like really blown up negatively in my face, but I certainly teeter on them and things don't always go the way that I want them to go. I mean, I just try to remind myself and other people that I'm human. I am allowed to, I have opinions, I have thoughts and feelings, and I will also always tell you what I do for my own dog. That's like the best I can do. I'm so obsessed with my dog. It's not normal. And I will literally tell you what flea and tick heartworm she's on, what she eats, what supplements she takes. Like, I will tell you what I do for her. That is like the very best that I think that I can offer you and do. And you can also see that a lot of my clients are doing and doing the same things because they'll often post me and be like, thanks for recommending this, you know, or whatever. So I would say things that I don't even expect sometimes will <laughs> will come back at me. Like um, I did this one post about, uh, I talk about like different toxicities in dogs. And I say that macadamia nuts is art. <laughs> I can't talk. That macadamia nuts can be toxic. And I somebody wrote me and said, I can't even afford macadamia nuts, but thanks, Lisa. <laughs> so I, <laughs> I really wanted to write back to her like asterisk doctor, Lisa. But that I didn't. I didn't. I did it and like took a screenshot just for myself. But like then I didn't. I didn't send it. So yeah. So I. It's like it's the. You know. You never know like what you're gonna get yelled at for. That's just really one of my favorite ones. You never know. And the other thing I've learned is like people love having and giving their own opinions. Right. That's what I find is a good kind of engagement where I ask people like, oh, what do you do for your pet? They almost don't always even want to hear what I do. They they want to share what works for them. And if I think that's valuable and and I've learned things for like that too, actually. So that's actually been pretty cool. But yeah, I haven't, I haven't stepped on a lot of landmines, but look, I have a lot of friends in the industry, friends who don't necessarily agree with what I agree with friends that are important to me. Their connections to me are important. I mean, they don't necessarily believe what I believe, but I, what can I do? I mean, I, I can only say what I believe in. Like I said, I, I am an open book. I have been in groups where I tell people what I make what I do exactly, like how I do it. I am, I have no secrets. Like I've, I've also partnered with, you know, I do, I've had other veterinarians do Instagram takeovers where they post on my stories all day and they show what their day is like. And I'm like, oh, hey, here's Dr. Sue. She's my good friend. She's going to come show you what a day in the life of a veterinary oncologist is like. I saw that post and I was, I was like, oh, how, how did that? Because she was my fourth guest on blunt dissection oh really that's so funny (laughs) yeah she's somebody i've made a connection with i think i guess through instagram i'm trying to remember even how it how it happened originally but now we've become real really really good friends in real life but i let her into my account like she could read all my messages she could see all my stats and i always tell people like there's no magic behind this right like yeah i have 155,000 followers now but that's because i started five years ago the algorithm was different now I don't know what my audience is going to do when somebody takes over my account. I assume they'll get maybe around like a hundred followers or so. If you look at my good, my friends, the picky potatoes who were just on (laughs) their guinea pig bunch um, that's on Instagram, they just got posted on Instagram. 
the Instagram page on Instagram. And I think Instagram has like 23 million followers and they grew by like 10,000 people. I mean, that's from 23 million followers. The, the algorithm just isn't, there's no magic to any of it. But anyway, my whole point is I'm very transparent. I will tell you what I'm thinking. I will show you all the things. Yeah, there's no magic to it. And sometimes, so I just go for it because I'm pretty confident also, whatever I think, other, there are other people also who think like that out there. And also I try to be clearly like science and evidence-based, but sometimes it's just an opinion and I will share that too. I'm definitely more outspoken on the podcast, I'll say though. Like I have opinions on the podcast and I get a little crazier on the podcast. So right. if you want the crazy side of me. That's it. Let's go there. <laughs> I was actually going to, and I think a nice segue into that because I think it's tied into it is sort of the comedy side of things. So tell me about your sort of comedy, your trip into comedy and how that has infused your career. Yeah. I mean, so I think it's a great way for people to learn, right? I mean, I am not super particularly funny. I think I have a good sense of humor, but my boyfriend of six years, six, something like that, six years, um, we pretty much break up every episode also, but he is a professional. Well, cover in 40 minutes. It's a lot. It's a lot to unpack. I mean, yeah. He's a professional stand-up comedian, and uh, he was on tour with Cat Williams for three years. They did 90-city tours together. He was at, like, all of the biggest stadiums. And that started because – so we started this podcast together called We Don't Deserve Dogs. And that started because all of his comedian friends would call and be like, I had six medical marijuana gummy bears, and now I have two. And if my dog weighs eight pounds, uh, what do I do? Call poison control. Um, so so the, this is like a slightly off the wall. It's like a Montessori maths problem exam time. Yeah. Order has six gummies and can't remember if he ate four. Exactly. And math what? is hard. Math is hard. So, dog, what, what's the answer? Yeah, right. The answer is call somebody else. You're dumb. But I can talk to the comedians like this. You know, and so. Hilarious conversations would kind of ensue, but also so would like learning and help. And we said, well, let's make a podcast out of this. We decided it's the two of us and we have on really entertaining. It used to just be comedians, but now we're kind of branching out. Just anybody who's entertaining and they get real life veterinary advice, but it's also hilarious and informative. So it's kind of like Dr. Drew meets, I don't know, something funnier. Yeah. So he brings out the comedian side, which is which is like again a, a great way to learn, and also another business. You know, it's another way we have some sponsorships. We make a little bit of money, like not a ton, hoping that will change. But again, it's something we've been doing for years. We've actually we had another podcast. We rebranded. Um, we've I think this is like our fourth year. I don't know where he is. I would ask him, but I think I want to say it's like our fourth year doing third or fourth year or something like that doing this, and it's been a really long time. Every single week, we release every single Monday. And you know, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. And, and you do it all on your own. I don't even do it all on my own. He does a lot of the technical stuff. I get to just show up and look pretty. So, yes. <laughs> As you've gone through it, and again, I've seen over the last four years and doing Blood Dissection, podcasts have become like loads of podcasts just exploded as a I don't know if it's exploded in listener base, but it's exploded in number of options and podcasts and just as a medium that's been taken seriously by marketeers or just as a communication medium. What have been the more important lessons you've learned along the way? 
Well, I think this is another one like for networking, persistence, and patience. Because again, so when we first did it, then we got, we were on a network that was awful. I mean, terrible. He was, it was awful. Um, And so we took us a little while to get out of that network. And then I was like, oh, how do we grow? How do I market this? And I actually, I spent a lot of money on things that did not work. I mean, I I spent like a few thousand dollars on probably a few things that didn't work. Trying to- Favorites that didn't work? Mostly, you know, Instagram. And I, I find that the different mediums don't cross over very well. So like, that's why I was saying, if you want to grow on Instagram, you need to do things on Instagram. You need to have other people share you on Instagram to grow Instagram. It doesn't cross over very well, like to my podcast, for example. There's not a ton of crossover because people who are on Instagram wants, want to look at Instagram stuff. They don't want to then leave and go to a podcast and stuff like that. Yeah, there's some crossover, but it's not the, the magic bullet. I hired somebody who was, who was really nice, who was like a great marketer. And he was honest. He was like, I haven't done the podcast stuff. And I was like, okay, well, maybe like, I'm happy to be your guinea pig. We can get a little bit of a discount because you've never done it before. I'll be your guinea pig. I have confidence in you. Didn't work at all. Did not work at all. We like started a new Instagram page. I mean, it didn't totally, just totally didn't work. It was a total waste of like, I don't know, like six months and like $2,000 or something. But what happened was, what happened was, uh, we always say, he came across a podcast network that because he was like, okay, yeah, this didn't work and I feel kind of bad about it. He came across a podcast network that he was like, oh, I was like talking to this guy. I want to put you in touch with him. And it turned out to be our new podcast network now who we're on and that we love. The podcast network is called The Podglomerate. And they have a whole bunch of different pretty impressive podcasts on them. And uh, he's just grown. He So we've been with him for like about a year maybe. And he just hired a whole bunch of people who are really bringing new, exciting things to the table. It's been, yeah, a lot of patience and persistence. But because I'm constantly trying things, constantly failing, constantly trying things and wasting a lot of money and time they lead to other things, you know? So maybe it's not a total waste in in that regard, but yeah, if I hadn't hired this guy and spent the money, I wouldn't be on this network that we love now. So yeah, I think it's just putting yourself out there, constantly trying and doing and not being afraid to fail and losing a little money in the process. That's actually, the more we talk, the more that's the recurrent theme throughout the life, isn't it? It's the, from that 10 year old writing the letter. <laughs> yeah. And trying something because not I don't know many people wrote to vet school <laughs> when they were ten, and it's such a sweet letter as well. Uh, yeah, it's real and, cute. And then didn't got knocked back three times. We kept trying. Yeah, and, you know that that willingness to commit to taking some risk. Yeah, I'll, I'll explain that letter a little bit just uh, for anybody who hasn't seen this on my Instagram. But I I was ten years old and I wrote a it was a vet tech school the Bell the Bell Ray Institute I think. And I just said, I would love to be a veterinarian when I grow up. And I was like, veterinarian, I don't know how I spelled it. And I was like, I have a, I told them about all my animals. I sent them a letter with my best stickers, which were like, which was like huge. I gave them like my best fuzzy animal stickers. And I just said, can you send me some information? And they said, we can't send you, you're too young. We can't send you a brochure. Like you couldn't send a girl a brochure. And I did say at the end, like P.S., if you don't want my stickers, like, please send them back. <laughs> they did include the stickers, the letter back. And they said, P.S. Here are your stickers back. We thought you'd like to keep them. 
but like they couldn't give me a brochure. It was real sad. So, yeah. I'm mad on their behalf for two reasons. One, being that mean to somebody who put that much effort in. <laughs> two, I suppose it wasn't in the days of social media, but man, they could have they could have just I know such a home run with that. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty funny though. But yes, it is definitely a recurrent theme. I'm just constantly trying things, so that's where you see this my hodgepodge of a life where I own a house call practice. I have a podcast. I do the Instagram stuff and like whatever media stuff I can do. I am working telehealth for um, Bond Veterinary veterinary Group as well as, and and that happened because when I was taking care of my parents, I knew the CEO of Bond Veterinary Group. And when my parents were sick, she was very supportive and she reached out to me and constantly and just said, you know, how, how are you? How is everything? And I said, well, I'm in Florida and uh, I had to really shut down my practice mostly. And, you know, if you need anything from afar, I would love to help you guys. If there's anything I can do, please let me know. And she said, oh, yeah, well, we're thinking of starting this telehealth thing. Um, and it's something that I had had experience with before. And it was just perfect. So I've been doing that ever since. And I, I really love it. I do it every Saturday and Sunday which is great because I feel like I do my veterinary stuff on the weekends where I can concentrate on it. And then the weekdays are for more of like my creative and other business ventures. And so, yeah, that was a perfect example of networking. I met her because I went to a conference and was introduced to her when I was in that startup world. So that's a perfect example of, of networking. I really just said to her, I would love to, if you need help, I would love to, I'm, I'm in a crabby situation, right? But no pressure because of that. But if you need help, I please think of me. And that's what I just tell people to do. Please think of me if you if you need something. I put myself out there. So that's where you see my my hodgepodge of life. So the telehealth, I own my own house call practice, the podcast, the Instagram stuff. I, I always forget something. I'm sure I forget something. I've become pretty intricately involved with uh, the Veterinary Virtual Care Association as well because it's something I am also I am passionate about. I'm passionate about it because I think it's great for owners and I think there's so much that we can take care of through virtual care, but I'm also very passionate about it for veterinarians because it allowed me to work in a time where I had to take care of my parents. I wanted to. You know what? Fuck have. Like I that's what I wanted to do to make me happy and so and that I want to keep doing it. Um, so I want veterinarians to be able to have those options, to be able to work from home, to use their skills that we were taught in veterinary school to make a living and to help people. I just think it's like that simple. The fact that the law comes into it at all drives me loco, drives me completely mad. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's all it takes for me is that little spark. It's a very interesting area. I feel like we could dedicate a lot of time to that, but I'm conscious that... Yeah, because there's a lot of veterinarians who... Sorry, and I, I interrupted you, but there are a lot of veterinarians who don't believe in it, right? Who will fight me on it. It's coming. It's here. It's, whether they like it or not, it's coming. Mm -hmm. So let's make it better yeah. the best way. Okay, so I'm conscious of our time. So I, And I feel like we are just touching the edges yeah. here, but maybe if I could wind up with uh, one or two of our more rapid fire type questions. Yeah. In all of, you know, in your innovating, your work here as you cast around playing and experimenting and doing things, are there any sort of rocks or rituals or habits that you have found you've built into your life to help you do the things you want to do? Hmm, that's a really hard one. I think it's really just being persistent 
and aggressive in a nice way. But again, it's really all about when that, you know, preparation is when luck meets opportunity. So I always try to be prepared for an opportunity. I take the things I've learned my whole life, I'm constantly learning, and then I'm prepared. And when an opportunity strikes, I I take it, I jump at it, I say yes. So I try to say yes to most things. And how have you kept yourself sane in COVID? I mean, you've had a really heavy time. Yeah, really traumatic. I try to be grateful, really. I try to really think if I get into a negative headspace, I really try to remember how lucky my family has been and how grateful I am for everything we've survived. And I just know, like, if I can survive this, I can really survive anything. And there have been some, you know, yeah, and thinking about the positives that have come with it, right? So, um, so the telehealth being one, I think it's a phenomenal positive that's come of this uh, curbside pickup. I think that's also a great <laughs> thing that I hope stays. Um, it, was, so, yeah. it was just incredible in the early days of this, how such a change-resistant profession, I know in our practice, we innovated four things that would have taken months and we did it in a day. Yep. I just started doing it. Uh, and it was just kind of a really incredible. You, you don't know, know what you're. Yeah, you don't know what you're capable of until you have to do it. Absolutely. On that theme, if you could change one thing in veterinary medicine more than anything else, what would it be? Probably have having veterinary professionals run the profession. So whether it's around making laws or owning clinics or being managers or things like that, having veterinarians be in charge of being veterinarians. I was involved in, I'll just say very briefly, I don't know if this is something you saw, but I was I was one of three people to help change the California state law to include a medical exemption for the rabies bill. And that was another thing. I mean, we could talk about that too for forever. But yeah, I testified. I was one of three people to testify in front of eight senators to change the state law. And I was just floored at how government makes our decisions around how we can practice veterinary medicine. Because I'm like, what? I went to school for all this time to use my best judgment. And now eight senators are going to try to tell me whether or not I have to give a rabies vaccine. And so if you want to talk about immersing myself in in the crazy, I mean, people thought I was like anti-vaccine. I wasn't. I was just trying to put, and I would say, you know, the rabies vaccine has allowed us to have a human-animal bond. It's necessary. But this decision needs to be made by a veterinarian, not by the law. What was the best piece of advice you've ever been given? I think that life is a journey. I, I really live my life that way. I really, really do. I just try to remember every day is something new, a new opportunity. Like just, it's really important to be happy in what you're doing every day. It's like the single most important thing. And, and that's, I think of anything what COVID has shown us too. Like you got to do what makes you happy and what's important to you. Who gave you the advice? I probably read it off a milk carton or something. I don't, I don't remember, but it's something that's really stuck with me. Yeah. Cause I'd say not everybody shares that sentiment, but I've really taken it to heart. I just try to remember it makes me feel a lot better. It's not always about getting to the goal. Cause again, like I got to the goal. I am a veterinarian now and it's not everything I thought it would be. Um, but getting there was amazing. I loved it. I love vet school. I love my vet school friends. So the journey is really half the fun. What was the worst piece of advice you, now you can choose advice you've been given or you have given? <laughs> have I ever given bad advice? I mean, I can't imagine that. 
I think just when it comes to any advice, I think it's really about trusting my own instinct. I am almost, my instinct is always right on. There have been more often than not where I've said, "Mm, I should have just trusted my instinct on this one rather than than not. So I think if something says, if somebody says something to me, it doesn't feel right. It's probably not right. Um, My instinct is usually pretty right on. If you're looking for more specific bad advice, hmm. some bad advice is when I first started out and I was in, I was unhappy in certain jobs and people, I had this mentality like, oh, I need to stick it out, right? What if it's on my it's on my resume that like I've only worked at a place for six months or eight months, right? And that doesn't look good. Like I can't explain that. Turns out like that didn't matter at all. There are so many places who who want you, who are willing to have you, who if you just, again, put yourself out there and look for these opportunities, they will come to you. So don't spend any time thinking you need to stay in a place where you're not happy. Amen to that. Hmm. Are there any favorite influential books you think that you've read that you think that everyone should read or have made a really big impact on you? Or thinking, you know, nonfiction. See, I think recently I read The Four Agreements, short and simple, just talks a little bit about how to live life. But I, I like that. It was short and simple. So I'd say, go take a look at that one. Who's that by? Do you remember? No, but I can, I will Google it. Okay. It's called The Four Agreements, A Practical Guide to Personal Freedom. So I think there's a theme here with me about being a free bird. So thinking back to graduation, if you could give yourself one piece of advice back then, what would that piece of advice be? (laughs) Just strap in for a wild ride. I think it's, yeah, again, to appreciate the journey. Not everything is going to be perfect. You are going to have a lot of heartache and trials and tribulations in this profession but the good will be amazing. And that's that's really that's really what it's been. I'm still, even though I say, you know, maybe I wouldn't have, not even that I wouldn't have, I just, I don't know. I would have had to thought about it more than I would think about it now. Um, doing veterinary medicine again, I can tell you there's nothing that I would have been as proud of. So it's definitely one of the, I'm extremely proud to be a veterinarian. Um, what would you like to be remembered for? I think being kind and being, nice to work with, being open, being honest. Is that multiple things? Um, Just being easy. I mean, I just, I just don't, I don't want to cause anybody stress or strife or I just, I want to help. I'm not, uh, yeah, I I like to think I'm pretty easy. I mean, when I get really passionate about something, I can probably be annoying, but I think still kind. And being an excellent networker, I wouldn't mind that. <laughs> uh, I think you probably probably <laughs> sorry in a big way. Yeah, I wouldn't mind that. If you could send one Instagram post and light up all of our phones with <laughs> that, maybe it's the home screen. It's not even on the app, but you know that like, we get on our home screen when we get up in the morning. What picture would you send, and and what message would you would you deliver? Man, these are thought provoking. To who? Who would be my audience? Everybody. My, my, everybody in the world. Yeah. It would be to be kind to your veterinarian and to make sure that you're kind to yourself as a veterinarian, right? Because it is a tough profession now. So I think it would be just letting people know we're not in for the money. We love your pets. We love what we do. We work so hard to get here. And uh, just to remember for people to be kind to vets and for vets to be kind to themselves. That's awesome. 
Thank you, Lisa. I've had a blast listening to you. And the time has gone super, super quick. If people want to reach out and follow you, it's Dr. Lisa Lipman on the socials, is it not? Mm -hmm. Yeah. The podcast and strap in for that. But We Don't Deserve Dogs is the podcast on, on all your favorite networks. Yep. Now, Lisa, any final thoughts or anything you'd like to say before we sign off? Yeah, my final thoughts is where's the podcast about you? Where when does somebody ask all of these questions of you? Do you have one of these? Because I'm I still have so, I have so many questions. <laughs> I do. <laughs> we do a reverse version and you can host it. Okay, well we're gonna get you on the podcast then and then we're gonna have to uh it's gonna be fun. Oh, we'll be a riot. <laughs> you know, when we first started our conversation, it would have been you know, it would have been so much fun to stop off in in New York City. I haven't been there for such a long time. I've just flown and seen it and gone, oh, that's it. I'd love to go. I'd love to go back to New York. It's such a fun place. So um, it'll yeah. happen one Let's day. Let's do that. Let's make that one happen. day. I mean, I got in my arm and get on a plane and the next yep. time. I'm... Yep. We'll be ready. Are you going to say one last thing? Oh, that was it. So that's my true thought is like, we need, we need an episode on you. I think we should create it. My other last thing would be, yeah, reach out to me. I love it. So I is my phone is always in my hand and I will respond to you and I will ask me literally whatever you want to know. I'm, I am an open book and I'll help you however I can. So much great insight into lots of different facets of life there. Thank you, Dr. Lisa. Much appreciate your time. Keep being awesome. Thank you for having me. Okay, folks, I hope you... Okay, folks, just me again. I hope you enjoyed that episode. Wasn't Lisa marvellous? Please shout her out on the socials and give her some feedback if you enjoyed the show. Now, if you are enjoying these shows, please don't forget to tell your friends about it. The best way we can grow the audience is simply by sharing the message of the show. So jump on the socials, give us a shout out, share the message, share the show, say something nice. And if you wanted to leave a review on iTunes, then that would be most appreciated too. Until next time, from all of us here at Vetex International, with again, great thanks to the show sponsor, the Thrive Community. Be safe, be well, and be happy.